0: Well, our sermon this morning comes from John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57. If you'll turn there quickly, and if you don't have a Bible, um, there is one provided for you there, or should be somewhere nearby under the seats in front of you. We will have the words on the screen, but I would uh, always urge you to have one in front of your face in your own hands that you can look in yourself and um, thumb, thumb back and forth and so on. John eleven forty five 45 through 57, I want to speak this morning to the subject of truth, lies, and the schemes of powerful people. Let's look at John 11 together. If you'll stand out of reverence for the word of God and attentiveness to his voice, in the scriptures. Listen to the word of the Lord. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only... "...for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad." So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves." They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he'll not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we open your word today as always, expecting. Expecting. Expecting, Lord, that you have something to say to us through them. It is your word, every jot and tittle of it inspired, inerrant, and true. It speaks with authority, most especially to those people who live under your authority by your grace But it speaks with authority to the whole world, even those who revile it and defy it. But we come today with open ears and open hearts to hear your voice. So would you speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good. Lord, would you move me out of the way as always? Use my voice as your instrument and let your voice be heard in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, about six weeks, weeks ago, I was doing a uh, series, uh, What in the World is Going On, and I made a statement about the nature of people who hold power. And uh, I said, Left unchecked, power will ultimately be redirected to serve the self-interests of the powerful. We saw that in a specific way in 1 Kings chapter 12. And, and for that reason, I went on to say, be really hesitant uh, to give the sword, as it were, the sword of authority to the strong man and be sure that you know somebody can control how he uses it and when it can be taken back. That was uh, back on January 30th. If you weren't here, you can, you can go back and listen to it online. None of us had any idea that uh, a few short weeks later that would be on uh, open display in the world following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, it's not, a, it's not like Russia is the fulfillment of that. It's just to say this is a truth that operates in, uh, in, in power centers, structures of power on the earth. And uh, one of the things that we saw and are seeing is the fact that the, the power brokers in Russia have used the power to line their own pockets and they had to get deeper pockets for all they lined them with. We, we, maybe uh, many of you didn't know uh, and never heard of the Russian oligarchs, and you've maybe been learning what an oligarch is, or maybe you're still wondering, and I'm not going to teach you now. You can Google it. But, but one of the things that happened when, the, when, the, when communism uh, f- collapsed, when the Soviet Union broke up, a lot of what had been publicly owned Uh, industries and that kind of thing were privatized and Vladimir Putin and people close to him became controlling uh, managers, owners, and so forth of a lot of those industries got filthy rich while the country has stayed relatively poor. Probably not as poor as many of them were under Soviet control, but in any case... The point is it illustrated the truth that, that what, what, what you saw in 1 Kings 12 is operating in power structures all down through the centuries and it's unfolding even, right? Just, just, just being on display. It's not limited to Russia by any means, but just displayed in front of us. Well, this passage this morning reveals something else about the motives and operations of powerful people. And again, when I'm saying powerful people, that doesn't apply to every single person of power. But as a sort of class of people, and when you think about structures of power on the earth, um, there's something revealed about their patterns of operation in the passage we just read. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Brian preached about that last week, and many people believed in him as a result, which you might imagine that some would. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. Some went back to the Jewish leadership, though, and told them about it, and that was the last straw for them. Hey, we can't have somebody raising people from the dead. Around here. The last straw, verse 53 says, they began to make plans to put him to death. It was the last straw. They they, they began to make plans there. They began to plot the worst crime in the history of humanity to kill the Son of God. I call it that, and I think we ought to call it that. There have been crimes committed against greater masses of people, but there can be no greater crime on, in the history of humanity than to kill the Son of God. That's what they were plotting uh, after Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. And as I alluded to as I was praying, we need to remember that there are spiritual forces at work. You know, that there are spiritual Realities, And I know most everybody here understands that, but if you don't, it's just to say the world that we live in uh, is, is made up of both physical and non-physical realities. There is a spiritual realm, an unseen realm. It is every bit as real as the one we occupy. And there is more similarity to it than we acknowledge most of the time. Namely in the fact that it is populated by Persons, personalities, spiritual beings, demons, and angels. And in our secular world, that is uh, sort of scoffed at and dismissed as, you know, silly superstition and that kind of thing. Uh, It isn't that at all. And it is real. And ironically, everybody but uh, the secular Western geniuses, pretty much everybody in the world knows there's their spiritual realities it's just debated about what is the nature of them but there are spiritual realities uh, s- uh, spiritual realm populated by spiritual personalities that have their own structures and hierarchies that offer uh, that that operate uh, like governments or militaries in a certain respect and that uh, that that govern in many respects what happens and what plays out on the earth, okay? Now, that's that's backdrop to say that that's going on now and always, but there are those forces at work driving what happens in the natural world. In fact, Jesus had already said about the very Jewish leaders that are talking in this passage we read. Back in uh, chapter eight, verse 44 of John, Jesus said, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. What does that say? That that the devil is inherently evil, a murderer, a thief, and a liar and that people including powerful people, including powerful religious people, are pawns in his game. It doesn't make them mindless puppets either, but willful players in the game that uh, spiritual forces are playing. And the schemes that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus come right out of the devil's playbook. I mean, there, there, are, there are schemes that the enemy uses over and over, over the course of history. I mean, you see them in different places in the scripture and he's still using them. I mean, it's sort of like watching, you know, watching an NFL f- game or a college football game or something and, uh, and you know, I shouldn't say you know, but like they run the same kind of offense, the t- other team knows what's coming, they just can't stop it all the time. Or maybe you see some of the, here's some of the commentators of the NFL games, the former quarterbacks and that kind of thing who will call the play before it happens. Yeah, look for a pass right over the middle here. And then they snap the ball and then there's a pass right over the middle. The point is the devil uses schemes. It's sort of like a template. And you could just plug in the different names and dates and that kind of thing, but they're, they're just similar schemes that unfold over the course of human history. And we see... Some of those um, here right now. And so I want to suggest, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, highlight here today or sort of number uh, things that I think are clearly in the text here. Uh, but I want to suggest these are also schemes or part of the schemes of powerful people even in our day. And so we see six common steps in the schemes of powerful people, the first that we see here is that powerful people, the powerful, operate with end goals in mind, including their goal to remain in power. Powerful people operate with end goals in mind. They, all, they always have an end in mind, and one of their primary ends is to remain in power. Look at verse 48. Because I said this is the last straw. They They started now from that point on to plan to murder the Son of God. And why? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That's their motivation. They'll give all kinds of other reasons for it. But the Romans ruled over Israel, but they allowed in Israel, like in other places, they allowed um, uh, the local sort of uh, national, previous national um, authorities to exercise a certain amount of rule. It was one of the ways that they kept peace in a vast uh, empire was to allow some of the customs and cultures and power structures to remain in place and just give them a measure of power. And the Jewish leaders exercised some of that under Roman authority, but the Romans would sort of uh, keep a certain uh, distance or keep their hands out of certain matters and let them rule. And so their concern here is that if masses of people start following this renegade Jesus, There's fear of an uprising that might arise and might cause the Romans to come in and take control. That's what's at issue. And of course, the consequence of that is that they would be displaced from their places of power. I mean, notice what they didn't say. If 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 he if he goes on like this, everyone will believe in him and they'll stray away from God into believing error. No, that's not their concern at all. If they go on, everybody if he goes on like this, everybody will believe him and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Their motivation to kill Jesus is political. It is a political motivation. And one of their fundamental underlying interests there or concerns is where their interest is to hold on to power. Their concerns is that they'll lose it. Their interest is to hold on to it. And again, I would suggest to you that's not unique to those specific leaders at at that specific time. The longer someone is in power, the more they love power. And part of the reason this is true is because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? There's a fundamental truth we believe about humanity is that everybody is a sinner. That from the fall of man, sin has reigned in the heart of man. And for those people who laid hold of power, they develop a growing appetite for power. Just like those who lay hold of money develop a growing appetite for money. Those who pursue sexual gratification have a growing appetite for that. The the appetites of the flesh are never satisfied. They just grow. So those who hold power, the longer they have it, the more they love power. A higher priority it is for them to hold on to. And I would say, as I think I've said before, just as a little bit of a footnote, that's one of the fundamental reasons that our federal government is incapable of governing now, we have actually a much better system of government to hedge against the things I'm talking about because we have a government uh, that is, at least in some respect, answerable to the people. We will get to vote again. The Russian people will not. You understand? Uh, well, they, they'll get a chance to vote. They just won't get a chance to have their way. <laughs> um, but there's a lot they don't have a voice in we we have a better system of government but all of this still operates in our government and our federal government is incapable of governing that is my that, that's my opinion you can you can t- uh, take it for what it's worth but 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 they they always are campaigning for re-election and i'm i'm really i'm really not speaking i'm 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 not am not exaggerating this is the way this is the way i see what happens and you and you look and see if it's not true There's always another election come up. They cannot, where there are economic problems, they cannot make economic decisions. They're always making campaign decisions. They might talk about economic concerns, it is a campaign interest. They can't make educational decisions because they're making campaign decisions. They can't make any kind of governing decision because all they do is campaign. And it is just inherent now, baked into the system so that good people go there. And before long, they, they aren't good or they can't do any good. Some of them leave and some of them get stained by it. Uh, and again, I would say as another footnote, I would, I, I would sign the petition for the convention of states that would, would put term limits on everybody in Washington. I mean, send them home, every one of them. Um, and it, and again, it is for this for this reason it, that I'm speaking of today. Because power there operates like power everybody else, everywhere else. It becomes self interested, and they are incapable of governing because all they're ever doing is looking for a way to retain their power. I say right now of all the problems, of all the problems we are immediately facing. You name whatever it is, half of them up there don't want to solve either one of the problems. They want the problem to continue long enough for them to leverage the problem to their own benefit in the next election. Whatever economic solution there might be immediately, we won't see it immediately. We won't see it till at least November. Right? And after November, somebody else will be the kick in the can in a different direction. Anyway, off my soapbox, but I would just say... There it is. They, they operate with, a, with an end goal in mind and one of the chief ends is always retaining power. And so don't give them much of it. Yeah, send them home after about 12 years with a plaque. Thank you for your service. You know, anyway, all right. Not, I've said too much about that. I don't have time. Don't let me get started. Okay, number two about powerful people. Often they are not transparent about what their goals really are. Uh, in verse 47, it says here that they gathered the council, the Sanhedrin, and they had this conversation privately. Now, it's not, that's not unique to this particular conversation. It's just to say there are around 70 people gathered together who have this last straw conversation. He's got to go. Jesus has got to die. This is, you know, we we can't put up with this anymore. There's too much at stake. The Romans are going to come take our place and our nation. They have that conversation among the 70 of them. There is no C SPAN camera in the room. There will be no video clip on YouTube for the people of Israel to watch. There'll be no stenographer who's taken notes and will publish a transcript of that for everybody to read what was going on. In fact, it it may have been somebody like Nicodemus, who was sort of uh, somewhat a, a friend of Jesus and the disciples and became more friendly, it seems, over time. It may have been somebody like that who later... Uh, reported that to the disciples so that, that john came to know that fact as he wrote it here either because somebody in the inside room had shared it or just by inspiration of the holy spirit but this is a private a private conversation um, and they do not announce that publicly right the the, the, the jewish leaders have opposed jesus publicly but they never say publicly that their concern is the Romans might come take away our place in our nation. You remember even uh, that in John chapter 10, they accused Jesus of blasphemy. They, were, they picked up stones and they're ready to stone him, right? They're ready to arrest him again at the end of that exchange that they had. They give religious reasons. They oppose him. But they give religious reasons for their opposition, not political ones. Their, their, their real goals are not transparent. And the, the fact is, uh, of course, they're wrong about the fact that G- Jesus was a blasphemer. Their statement, Jesus is a blasphemer because he said, I and the Father are one. That, that they were wrong about that. But the truth is, some of them are probably sincere, in their wrongness. If you follow what I'm saying there, the point is, I titled this Truth, Lies, and the Schemes of Powerful People. And, and part of what makes deception deceiving is the truth that's mixed into it. It's a whole lot easier if you just know somebody's always lying, but there is some truth mixed in. And the part of the truth here is that they sincerely think Jesus is a blasphemer, some of them. Even though they're wrong about that, but even so, that's not the real motivation to kill them. Uh, uh, they won't publicly disclose what their motivations actually are, and that's that, again that's pretty common among leaders of our day, powerful people of our day. They have end goals in mind. They're operating within goals all the time. Often, they are not disclosed. They're not transparent about it. Number three. Powerful people think they are smarter than everyone else, so they want to decide what's best. Look at verses 49 and 50. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole, parish should, a whole nation should perish. You know nothing at all. That sounds just like some high-minded people who live in Washington, D.C., doesn't it? Or in academic institutions. You know nothing at all. I mean, there really are people who think that. If, I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of any, you know, personally, but they just seem a little put off by lowly, ignorant people like us. You know nothing at all you don't understand. I mean, that, that is the sentiment of elitists and intellectuals. Like that is, that could be their tagline on their business card. You know nothing at all. Leave it to me. Leave it to us. We'll make the hard decisions. If you knew what was good for you, you'd do what I'm proposing to do, but you don't know what's good for you, so just trust me. I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's the message, right? I mean, uh, they, they think they're smarter than everybody else and so that they ought to have a kind of the, the, the blank slate to make the decisions about what's best for people. Number four, they will do whatever is expedient to bring about the desired end. As I said, they're operating within goals in mind, always. They're not necessarily transparent about it, but they think they're smarter than everybody else, so they're going to pursue them anyway. And they will do whatever is expedient to bring about the desired end. In verse 50 that we just read, it says in the ESV, it is better for you that uh, one man should die for the people. The earlier, the original printing of the ESV, as well as some... Uh, some transla- Just translations that are a little bit older, even 20, 25 years older. You would see this in, uh, in an earlier version of the New American Standard. If you have that, if you're holding the New King James uh, right now, or the King James, you'll see the word, not better for you, but expedient. And, pro- and it's been changed in some translations to advantageous. Expedient is actually probably the best word there. But since not people don't really know what that means, they've updated it to add a word that people understand. But expedient means it's suited to the end in view. It's not only advantageous, but it's advantageous in light of the end that is in view. Okay? And the way it's used uh, a lot of times in our sort of vernacular or whatever, it might mean convenient and practical despite possibly being improper or immoral, right? It's the expedient thing to do. It's the practical thing to do in light of what we want to accomplish. It's one of these, the ends justifies the means sort of things. It may be improper or immoral, but it's advantageous in light of the ends that we have in mind. So, so sort of what's the bottom line then of, on this particular point? that their end goal of the Jewish leaders here, their end goal was to keep the Romans out of their affairs. They didn't want to give them any reason to put their hands in things that they had left their hands out of. Their end goal was to keep the Romans out of their affairs, and the most politically expedient thing to do was to kill the Son of God. Now, I'm saying it that way to sort of underscore the gravity of the crime. They don't believe he's the son of God, of course. It was the expedient thing to do. And they'll do whatever, the powerful people will do whatever is expedient. There was a quote by uh, a, a man named Matthew Fontaine Murray. Uh You wouldn't know him, nor do I, but he said, I remember actually a senior manager when I worked at Wachovia had this um, uh, and a plaque on his desk said where principle is involved be deaf to expediency. Where principle is involved be deaf to expediency. Now I will, I'll add another um, Little footnote here to say again, this operates you wherever there are power structures, there is this uh, commitment to expediency, and people like you and me get sucked into it, and we are just as prone, we are just as prone to get behind what is politically expedient rather than what is principled. I've, been, I've, I've, I've pounded that drum at times before about our inordinate affection with politics and politicians, with, with, with selling ourselves uh, to one political party that we are their handmaids and that we forfeit our prophetic voice to ever call them on the evil that they do. That we, we are apt to play into the same playbook is what I'm saying. And because we see, maybe with some clarity, what's politically expedient to do, we go along with it. We, we become the voice to our sphere of influence to support what's politically expedient, even when it is unprincipled. And beloved, we must not do that as the people of God. It is never justifiable that we will participate in a lie, participate in something immoral because it is politically expedient to do. Where principle is involved, be deaf to expediency. Let God be true and every man a liar. Again, huge footnote not in my notes, but I'll move on. Number five, powerful people remain on the lookout for an opportunity to execute their plans. This, this is a big one here, okay, to try, to try to get. This is important. Because powerful people have an end in view. They're not transparent about it. A lot of times we don't know what that is. And they think we're smarter, uh, they're smarter than us, so there's no need for us to have any input in it. And they are always on the lookout for an opportunity to execute that plan. The, the, and, and in fact, the plan isn't so important as the end goal. They might, have, they might have a plan that they're looking to execute, but if a different opportunity comes along, they'll come up with a different plan. But they are always, always on the lookout to pursue their agenda and to to realize it. Look in verses 53 here, and then verses 56 and 57, where it simply says that in verse 53, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. 56 and following, they were looking for Jesus, saying to one another, as they stood in the temple, what do you think? They will not come to the feast at all? Uh, Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So what's going on uh, is that they're going to be looking out for him. They've told others to be looking out for him. If you see him, let us know. You think he'll come to the feast? What, he won't even show up? I hadn't seen him. Have you seen him lately? No, I hadn't seen him. You think he'll skip the feast altogether? He knows we're after him, doesn't he? Be on the lookout. If we see him, if you see him, tell us. We'll arrest him. For what? Uh, That's triviality. We'll figure that part out later. They're on the lookout. We read elsewhere in the Gospels, of course, uh, that the Pharisees... Regulated their actions a little bit according to the crowd. One of the one of the because of because of the crowd, that one of the dynamics at play, in other words, is while they are looking for Jesus with plans to arrest him, they're also sensitive to the mind of the people. Because masses of people love this guy. Masses of people are influenced by him. And so you know, the, the, there are times where you know they they don't they they don't want to uh, execute him during the feast. It says in Mark chapter fourteen because of the crowds. So they're they're playing you know they're 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 playing the game a little bit. They've got a plan. They're looking for an opportunity. They know that they sort of have to regulate themselves because of the way the crowd might respond. What they don't want is an uproar. They don't want to draw attention. They don't want the Roman authorities having to come in and get involved here. But they're on the lookout to execute their plans. And what will end up happening, what will fall into their lap is that Judas Iscariot will come to them It says the devil enters him. uh, He decides to betray Jesus and he goes to them. You see, they had a plan A, but here's plan B. We've got a guy who can, he's an insider. He can let us know when Jesus is outside the city, away from the crowd, even better under the cover of darkness, where we can go grab him. Nobody will know about it. That's exactly what they do, they're always on the lookout. For an opportunity. And in the case of Judas. An opportunity fell. A new opportunity fell in their lap. And they jumped on it. And that's how he ends up being. Uh, led to trial. And then led to the cross. And. Um, there are. I, I'm, I'm pausing there. Because I'm thinking. There's, there are a number of examples. Uh, specific examples that I'd love to offer right now but in the interest of time I, I just have to move on I'm going to uh, follow on to this message with maybe some uh, development of this in, uh, in a couple of newsletter articles perhaps about things going on in the world and how this is manifesting itself right now in, in, in some sinister ways in fact in some ways where it's not even particularly secret what powerful people's goals are they hadn't been particularly uh, secretive about it, but they are just looking for an opportunity, the right opportunity. And, and COVID-19 was one of them. Uh, the Russia conflict, maybe another one. There's powerful people at work and sort of gl- on a global scale who are looking for something like a war. They might, sometimes they might stir up a war. But but even in cases where they don't cause it, when one breaks out, it's an opportunity for them to try to take advantage of the opportunity and leverage that to their own ends. And again, I'm not going to elaborate specifically uh, on that, but this is a key point to understand about the way the enemy is at work on the earth and how he is always opposing uh, the work of God and the people of God on the earth. And, and these are the sort of machinations, some of the machinations at work there that powerful people have a goal and they're looking for an opportunity to pursue it and to execute a plan. And then six, finally, the powerful people will drum up justification for their actions as necessary. Uh, this one we actually uh, don't really see um, in the text and that's kind of the... the, the Uh, that that sort of illustrates the point is that the justification they'll make will come later. They're acting without the justification that they're going to give to other people for their actions. Do you follow what I'm saying? Uh, they, they, They just know Jesus needs to die. It's time. If you see him, arrest him. We'll bring the charges later. We'll come up with the justification depending on what the circumstances are and what we know. But they'll drum up justification for their actions as necessary. Uh, And you'll remember the way that this plays out maybe in a couple of ways. That when Jesus, when they bring Jesus before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, what did they accuse him of? Religious violations, okay? Blasphemy. He He said they'll tear down the temple and raise it again in three days. Who does he think he is? Tell us, are you the son of man? Yeah, you said it. What more do we need? What, you know, the high priest tears his garment. What's interesting is you go back and read some of those kind of passages through the lenses of what they've done here at the end of chapter 11, what they've said and the plans they begin to formulate. All of that looks like theater. All of that on trial is drama. Tear the garment. Oh, what more do we need to hear? Hey, you don't need to hear anything more. You didn't need to hear anything in the first place. This was what you were going to do, regardless. You just now found the opportunity. So the justification, in other words, uh, follows on as necessary. So the charges they bring that they have the um, authority to speak to are religious charges. He's a blasphemer. They bring false witnesses who don't even agree with each other to make certain charges, and then they 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 just find something that they can charge him enough with it. So it's religious charges when he's brought before the council. But then what do they say when they take him before Pilate? Well, it's something different. Uh, they, in fact, in, Mar- in Matthew chapter 26, and you get different little details in the different gospels, Matthew chapter 26, uh, sorry, uh, wrong reference there. Uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 2. They come to Pilate and say, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, do you remember when they asked Jesus, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And his answer is basically, not the kind of Christ that you think. When you ask the question, I'm not that kind of Christ. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. But the, they, they, don't care to, they don't understand that. They don't care to understand that. But what they do care to do when they take him before Pilate is to misrepresent that. He's told us, don't pay tribute to Caesar. And he makes himself out to be a king. You better watch out for this guy, Pilate. You see, religious charges when they bring him before the religious council trumped up political ones when they bring him before the political authorities. But the point is, that is an afterthought. What the justification is for their actions, is it becomes important to carry out the plan. But it's not principled justification that drives them. They sort of back into that at the end of it. And, and I would say, all, all of those things to me... Uh, Sound very familiar. I mean, you can look at you—you you look whatever country you want to pick, just about—and—and uh, and movements throughout history, and you—you you see these kinds of things at play. And it's—and it's good for us to be a, a, attuned to the fact that this is going on, and and that you can just assume to a certain degree it's always going on. The way the way that the devil uses power structures uh, as spiritual forces in heavenly places to, to manipulate and influence uh, forces at work on the earth. But I want to conclude, as I said, there, there's so much more I could say in real specific ways, but I'll have to say it in other uh, formats. But I want to conclude with this sweet reminder this could be point number seven, but it's, it's a point that trumps all the other points. The sweet reminder that God governs over all the schemes of the devils and men. Okay, and again, that's right here in this text. Verses 50 to 52 says, nor do you understand it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest this year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation, not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. He he didn't know what he was saying. He's prophesying the work that Jesus actually came to do. Jesus came to die. Ha! Right? They don't have any idea. I mean, they are this elaborate scheme uh, in the hands of the devil, who's clever in his own right, and it is all accomplishing the will of God. Don't you love it? And see, that is the concluding word of this message because it needs to be the concluding word for us all the time. Uh, These kinds of things are at work in power forces all the time, globally, nationally, and so on. And it's good for us to be aware of them, particularly in a democratic society where we do have a voice. But we ought never to be fearful about what's going to happen at the hands of powerful people. We ought never to be preoccupied with the schemes of powerful people or political means to uh, respond to those schemes, particularly to the uh, political expediency that may invite us to, to abandon principle at times for the sake of engaging in that. As the people of God, we live by the word of God under the authority of God and as the voice of God in the culture and, and speak prophetically into that walk in the truth and stand by the truth and trust that God governs over all of the forces and the plans and the schemes of men and devils. He has the last word. Amen? And we'll just put an amen right on that. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. Praise you, God. And just, uh, Lord, can imagine how you laugh in the face of defiant, rebellious men and demons who think they are smarter than everybody on earth and in some cases are just too smart for their own good. That they have schemes and plans that even become the tools that you use to accomplish your purposes. And so, God, we, we rejoice in that. We pray that you would give us appropriately discernment and clarity to see what's really happening in the world, that we would not put our trust in princes, either giving ourselves to them but at the same time that we would not put our trust in princes and believe everything they tell us, but that we would put our trust entirely in you so much that we stand in the truth and we stand on your authority even when all the heat of opposition would blow back against us. Because of evil men who want to do evil deeds. So, Lord, give us the discernment we need. uh, Give us the conviction we need. Give us the faith and the courage we need to walk in the truth and stand in it as your people with confidence that you've already declared how the story ends, that you win. And that that is the assurance and the hope that we have. Lord, I pray that you would uh, inspire us all by that truth today. and Lord, would you continue to minister to us um, individually how we might, how how that may resonate with us, register uh, with us, or call us to respond. Even now and in the time to come, in Jesus' name, amen.